Good morning, everybody. So, uh, Jane said this morning, we're still in James? Yes. One last, one last week. We are still in James. So, in the first part of James chapter 5, we had this prophetic, somewhat condemning word to the rich. And, uh, you know, James wears lots of different hats in this book. And in this, in this section, he was wearing the hat of a prophet, uh, calling out uh, uh, some bad attitudes and bad behaviors and so forth. And then in the next little section that we looked at, we looked at patience. Patience for the coming of the Lord. Patience while God is working out his purposes. And it says in, uh, let's see, verse 11, that this patience is grounded in the very character of God. It says because he is compassionate and merciful. So it was... um, Patience um, with a lot of uh, teaching around that. Verse 12, where we'll start today, is sometimes connected with verses 11 and so forth. Sometimes people connect it with the verses that follow it. I think the fact of the matter is a lot of people just don't know what to do with verse 12 in terms of organization, but it's there, so we're going to talk about it. And in this section, you might think of this this theme for the last little part of chapter 5, proper Christian conduct. So we talk about that in verse 12. And then moving to proper Christian attitudes about what our circumstances are and how should this connect us closer to God and closer to his people. And then maybe move to a proper Christian perspective about things, uh, understanding illness, what do we do about it, what about being sick and weak and so forth, and then in the latter part, proper Christian community. Uh, What are our responsibilities to those uh, in us and among us who are are not doing well? So uh, this whole book has been James teaching us about how to behave, how to act, and so forth. So it just makes sense that he would kind of finish like he started, uh, teaching us what to do and, and in many cases, uh, why. So let's look at verse 12. And um, in these different sections, uh, you know, we've been looking at this, and, and we are certainly by now have a feel for James, and we've wrestled with a lot of these things personally. And so as, as things come to mind that, that you want to, comment on. uh, We don't have to wait till the end. Just feel free to jump on in. So, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, let me just comment, um, above all my brothers. Um, We've talked about the fact that this concept of the brothers, uh, of the brethren, uh, of the community, uh, James looks at throughout this whole book. I was, Daddy had his um, Bible laying open there and I saw he's highlighted every place where that word brethren is and it's a lot of places and he certainly returns to that again to say hey you know this is, I'm talking about you and us together uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a family type word for sure it says but above all my brothers do not swear 
either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So as we get started, um, just a brief comment about this first phrase of the verse. It says, but above all. Now, does, does anybody else have something else there where it says, but above all? Everybody have a similar phrasing? Uh, this little phrase could be construed to say, you know, forget all this other stuff I've been talking about. Here's the main thing I want to talk about. Well, that really doesn't fit, right? I mean, he's talked about some pretty important stuff, and uh, although that is one way to read it, that's probably not the best way. Probably the, the, um, the best way to think about this is that you know, as, as a preacher is kind of winding down and they kind of give you that little hint that we're kind of wrapping up, but I'm not done yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm heading there, so hang in there with me sort of thing. Um, you, you, we might think of James as saying, all right, in conclusion, I'm starting my last section, or, or let me sum up, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting my last my last uh, bit of teaching there. It's just a it's just a literary device, a transitional phrase to to say, um, all right, shifting gears. Let's let's talk about something else here. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth, and so forth. We've talked many times about the close parallels between the teaching of James and how it often had echoed the teaching of Jesus. So this would be a good example of that. So if you will turn over to Matthew 5, verse 33. Matthew 5, of course, is right in the, um, in the, the if you think of the Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as the Sermon on the Mount, um, this is um, right in the heart of it. And here we have Jesus teaching about this same concept. In 533 it says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So what's, what's Jesus trying to tell us here? What's he trying to tell us? Um, the... Um, I think one of the ways to, to understand this is uh, the, the oath kind of feeling that Jesus was talking about here was often, you might think of as a promise. A lot of times we think of oath in the terms of testimony, right? So is it in our control for us to properly testify about something that that has already happened. Well, yeah. I mean, yes, you could argue about, you know, our perceptions may be faulty at times and so forth, but but we can describe the past pretty well. And so 
you know, when someone takes in our modern day to take the witness stand, um, indicating that they are uh, taking this extra legal step, that's not really being prohibited here. Um, oftentimes, the oath that Jesus was talking about was talking about something that you were going to do, right? Like, I'm going to borrow your weed eater and I'm going to bring it back in two weeks. Well, you might intend to do that, but you might forget or you might lay it down somewhere and forget where you put it. I mean, you're not God. You can't predict the future. So there are some things that are kind of outside of your control. And Jesus is kind of getting at this a little bit when he says, you, you can't make your hair white or black, as we all know, right? Um, we, don't, we can't control those things. Some people are saying, well, yes, you can. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that angle. I'm seeing lots of nods. Yes, you can. Or blonde or, or other colors, perhaps. I didn't know you could get that out of book, <laughs> Perhaps I should have skipped that part. <laughs> but that was Jesus. I wasn't equal. Um, the point is, we don't have sovereign power like God does about what's going to happen. So Jesus seems to be saying, don't get God involved with some promise you're going to make because you don't have God's sovereignty and power and authority to absolutely make sure something's going to happen. Only God can really do that. And elsewhere in James, we saw we should take into account that contingency, right? We would say, well, if the Lord wills, we'll do so-and-so, right? So kind of a, a little bit of a softer province, just kind of re um, promise, um, recognizing God's sovereignty. So it says, do not swear either. In back to, to James, we see that the same themes, but just in shorthand, okay? Um, Jesus said, don't swear at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne. He adds this other stuff. Well, James says, don't swear by heaven. Jesus says, don't swear by the earth, for it is its footstool. James says, just by earth. And you see, we, we have the complete teaching, but just in kind of shorthand form, and again, showing the parallels of, of James and Jesus. The other context, and we don't have to dig into this too much, but, you know, Jesus always had this other audience, right? He had his audience of his disciples that he was teaching to, but he always had this other audience of the scribes and Pharisees, the people who were kind of hanging around the edges, trying to listen to how they could trip him up and how they could, you know, get into some little minutia argument. Um, if you, you don't have to do this, but if you want to make a note about Matthew 23, um, they were getting so nitpicky. In verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say is, is if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing, but if you swear by the gold of the temple, well, then he is bound by his oath. And he says, which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? He says, or if anyone says, if you swear by the altar, it's nothing, but if you swear by the gift that's on the altar, then you're bound by the oath. Again, he says, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? You know, they were so nitpicky that they were making distinctions about what thing you were going to swear by 
and which counted and which didn't count. I mean, you could understand why Jesus wanted to bring some clarity to all that and just say, y'all, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. I mean, that's kind of the the context there, and, and I think James has the same thing. The other thing, which is interesting, if you think about it, and this is not an original thought with me, but if you have to swear by something to make somebody believe you, it kind of undercuts all the times you don't do that, right? You say, well, no, you know, I swear this. Well, if you don't swear this, am I supposed to doubt you? Am I supposed to, you know? And so you kind of get that thing. Anytime you have to have this extra qualification, it, it undercuts how you are acting all the time. And throughout James, what's he preached? Integrity. Christian integrity. If you're going to be a Christian, act like it. You shouldn't have to call God's name down for your word to mean something. Your whole life should be one of being truthful and one of being honest and all that sort of stuff. So um, you can see how this kind of all fits. <coughs> Any comments about that? We know, you know, there are some faiths who have kind of taken this little um, uh, admonition and kind of run with it so that they say, well, I can't swear about anything and Again, I think it's a little different um, uh, on that, and we could certainly talk about that at another time. But uh, I think in general, if somebody said, you know, for legal purposes, you need to have this extra layer of authenticity, I don't think that's going against Scripture um, because I, I do find just personally a little bit of distinction in this concept of testifying about the past versus promising about the future. I think that is a little bit of a meaningful distinction. All right. Verse 13. I'm going to kind of read through this whole little section. It's a paragraph in, in my Bible. It might be in yours as well, down through verse 18. But uh, we're going to break it up a little bit. Um, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So, let's break this down. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So, is anyone among you suffering? I think that's that's interesting to think about. Um, sometimes we don't um, really call out where we are. Uh, we don't really admit, you know, I'm kind of suffering here. Um, we 
kind of have this impression that we're supposed to kind of just continue to push forward and work hard and not complain and so forth. And, um, but he says, is any among you suffering? I think it's, it's okay to take stock of where you are and to recognize that, you know, my circumstances may not be so great right now and it's kind of affecting me and and it's I'm not in a good place and and it's okay to acknowledge that and but the call isn't just to acknowledge that is it it says we're supposed to pray so back to our original little breakdown here proper Christian attitudes recognizing our attitude and then connecting that to God is anyone among you suffering let him pray um, it's not just enough to recognize that you're suffering. Again, James wants us to do something about it. This whole book has been about doing something. So we have to do something about it. This, this, um, this concept, that, which I guess is, if you take it too far, it, it could be just pride, I think, it's partially maybe our culture partially maybe I don't know what it is but I can't tell you how many times somebody comes in the office and they're talking about whatever's going on with them and then they'll stop themselves and they'll say something like I shouldn't complain like what <laughs> I said first of all you're paying me to hear your complaints I said, if you took your car into the shop and it was making a squeak, would that be complaining? I said, you're not complaining, you're just reporting. You're just reporting. But there's this, you know, they, it's almost like they, they feel guilty for saying what's wrong with them in a place where they should feel very free to say what's wrong with them. You know? So, anyway, it's just, it's interesting to me. Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. This one, though, is really interesting. Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone happy? Is anyone happy? Again, sometimes we get so busy, we don't recognize where we are right now. We may not recognize that we really are not doing well, that we're suffering, but we, not, we may not even call out the times when we're doing pretty well, when we're happy, when God has blessed us, or when we you know have some goodness that comes our way and we get a beautiful spring day or whatever it is that we could say you know this is really good well again we recognize it and then we what do we do we do something about it and it says let him sing praise um, the translation is right here we're supposed to sing we're supposed to sing praise when we're happy um, psychologists are just now scratching the surface of all the ways the brain works our, ver our best scans and brainwave monitors and so forth can't even start to get at the complexities of the brain the psychologists are getting there a little bit because they observe and ask questions and so forth um, but it is true that when 
when we connect something positive with something else, we reinforce this other thing. So he's saying, if you're happy, sing praises. It's probably going to make you even happier and make it last longer. And the cool thing is, which again, psychology is telling us, it makes it more likely for it to happen again. One day, Could scientists are going to catch don't up. Don't be afraid of your emotions. I haven't thought about that, but I think that that's a great comment. Could this mean don't be afraid of your emotions? For you, if you didn't hear that, I think that's kind of a great comment. Are you suffering? Acknowledge that. Do something about it. Are you happy? Acknowledge that. Do something about it. I, I like that. There, there's definitely this concept of, of having an awareness of your emotions, which sometimes, again, culturally or whatever, we're, we're asked to kind of conceal our emotions a little bit. Well, well pride enters into it. It does. Pride affects a lot of things. Um, pride, habit, how we're taught, you know, a lot of things like that. Very stoic, you know, um, uh, and that varies from culture to culture for sure. All right, verse 14. The same pattern. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone sick? Um, again, you can almost guess, even if you didn't know what was coming, you could almost guess James is going to say, okay, here's what you do. Right? Very practical here. Call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Um, the, the mental picture I think most people get here is that you're calling for the elders of the church because you're probably bed-bound. You're not in good enough shape to go there. So you ask them to come to you. Um, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the, the key there is let them pray over him. And this concept of prayer is going to be carried all the way through the rest of the section. Uh, so definitely the focus is on the prayer. Now, I'll say a little bit this anointing with oil. So a lot of people said, well, is this some practical use of the oil? We know olive oil was thought to have some healing properties and all this sort of thing. Or is it symbolic? Um, we know that um, that uh, the Good Samaritan, um, you know, it said was uh, anointed with with wine and oil, which <laughs> I never thought before. That's kind of like salad dressing. <laughs> um, but yes, there were some medicinal properties there. But the context here is probably not just practical because. You wouldn't need to call the elders of the church if you knew olive oil was going to help this particular situation. You'd go ahead and probably do that. You don't. You see what I mean? Um, I think um, it's probably is symbolic, and um, uh, there was anointings, you know, of royalty and so forth earlier in, in the Old Testament and so forth. But it was an acknowledgement of maybe the presence of God and and the fact that you were calling on God, a lot of things like that about this anointing. 
again um, probably the the um, the faith that's taken this the furthest um, uh, you know and I would say taking it all the way to the point of error um, is uh, the Catholic Church of course who um, put special um, authority in this anointing you've heard of people talk about last rites a portion of the last rites called extreme unction or the anointing of the sick as I think it's called now um, where the priest would um, anoint with oil and um, in the old days before it became uh, less politically correct uh, the priest anointed every sense of the body asking for forgiveness so anoint the eyes you know if you've sinned with your eyes anoint the mouth if you sinned with your mouth the ears the nose in a weird thing if it was a guy they would anoint the loins I'm not sure exactly what the loins were but any sins there uh, apparently women did not get any of this which I thought was also weird but um, <laughs> now they've kind of wrapped that up and the priest can just do the forehead and kind of cover it all um, certainly making things more discreet and, and more convenient for the modern-day priest. Um, anyway, there's no special, you know, the purpose of this was to forgive all the sins, make you ready for the next life. You know, the concept is of kind of ushering you out of here, uh, where James' focus seems to be on, you know, they're not gone yet. You know, <laughs> we can still pray for them. Um, it's not just all about... Um, someone who's fixing to die anyway um, the oil is not the m most important part verse 15 picks up what is the most important part the prayer and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven so this is kind of also gets kind of weird um, or maybe weirds the wrong word um, a little bit confusing uh, certainly prone to error um, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. This concept of the prayer of faith has been uh, contorted. Um, many uh, TV preachers have focused on uh, healing and uh, the, the concept that a person's healing from sickness is in proportion with the amount of faith that the person has. And this is a very bad contortion of this passage um, the ability of God to heal someone is not limited based on the person's faith it says even a little faith accomplishes a lot right um, this prayer of faith the way to think of it is the prayer that is in accordance with God's will um, that faith is going to save the one who is sick. Now some people make the point that every time the word sick is here is, is the word that we have asthenia which means weakness. And many times that same word is used as spiritual weakness. So some people like to to say this just means spiritual healing. Well, I, There are enough places in scripture where this is also used as physical healing so I don't think we can exclude that I think sometimes God does heal uh, physically uh, as well as spiritually but the spirituals in there with it and I think this is one of those times where our Western culture makes us get so picky 
that we try to distinguish it. I bet the concept of somebody being sick, whether it was spiritually or physically, probably wasn't as split up as we think of it nowadays. It was probably all in there. Hey, this person's not doing well, right? I don't know what's going on with them. They didn't have scans. They didn't have a lot of medical stuff. They just weren't doing well. And let's pray, and we're going to ask God to heal this person. I mean, let's just not overanalyze this, I think, is, is one, of the, one of the things here. It does move into this concept of, you know, if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And I know Daddy's taught, uh, and, and we've looked at several times about the, you know, there are some people who are sick just because, right? The classic um, uh, one was uh, the man who was born blind. They took him to Jesus and said, who sinned? You know, this man or his parents that he was blind. And he said, no, he was had nothing to do with that. It was just he was blind uh, because of the sovereignty of God, the glory of God. Uh, we know from 1 Corinthians when it talks about the Lord's Supper that there were some people who were sick because they were sinning. So that is a thing. We know that Paul was sick because God was trying to teach him something and teach him patience and, you know, grace and suffering with his thorn in the flesh. We can't, I don't think, fairly say that Paul's faith wasn't strong enough to get healed. So, yeah, there's lots of different types of sickness, but the point is we're supposed to pray. We don't have to burden ourselves with trying to figure out why this person's sick. It's just says pray. And it says it's perfectly appropriate to call for the elders of the church and to be anointed. That's certainly appropriate. And there probably are some people who are sick because their spiritual condition is so bad. Um, I could give you a whole list of physical illnesses that can either be directly or indirectly attributed to emotional distress. So, again, there's not a real black and white distinction here. Then it moves on to this concept of what happens in community. Verse 16, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. So this, this cuts out the hierarchy of the church, right? You don't have to call the, for elders. It says, you know, confession to each other and prayer for each other is perfectly appropriate. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And he goes into the, um, the uh, example of Elijah. So what do we make of this? You know, are some people just better prayers than others? Um, are some people more righteous when they pray than others? Um, probably so, it sounds like. Um, if you think about it if someone's been walking and talking with God for a long time you kind of got to think that God has aligned their heart with his so they're probably going to be more likely to pray in accordance with God's will and God knows them and they know God and it sounds like it makes a difference. 
Um, not that God doesn't hear the prayers of, of anyone, but it's a relationship, right? We're supposed to be connected with God, and it looks like there's some benefits to that. Last verses, verse 19. Again, keep this concept of community. It says, my brothers, here we go again, if anyone, and I think it's kind of interesting, how many times have we seen if anyone? Um, You kind of got to think that the only reason that James put these little nuggets in there was because he knew who anyone was. Or maybe he knew that anyone was going to show up. Or that anyone was likely to have this. Anyway, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We are in this together we're in this together and none of us is going to get it right all the time one of the reasons that we benefit from coming together like this is that we can get some unity of of our thinking right um There's, I guess, a good and a bad side to that. If if the, if we were being all taught wrong, we'd be led astray. Um, that's why we got to keep our source right with the Bible. But uh, we need to be aware. If you know, we're exposed to so many things, and especially nowadays, our culture is drifting in different ways, and some things that. 20 or 30 years ago might have been thought wrong some of those same things now we might think well maybe that was just clouded thinking but now we might be thinking oh well that's fine now it's not sin anymore you know we need to again go back to our authority tradition is not the same as the bible I get that there are some things that probably tradition made us think for convenience but maybe not as accurate but the Bible is going to be accurate if anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings it back let him know whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins I kind of get that picture of the you know that lost sheep right that one that has wandered off and requires some care to bring back into the fold you know wanders from the truth Um, if I can find it I quote this um, verse often, Galatians 6.1. Brothers, Paul's doing it too, right? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Um, So again, we started this section off talking about awareness of our emotions Um, awareness of our integrity uh, awareness of our circumstances here we need to have an awareness of our brothers an awareness of 
Who's not doing well? Why not? And what we need to do about it. It's, it's important to try to bring these people back. All right. You guys have been very quiet today. What else you got to say about James? It's a lot, right? I'm going to um, send um, a list of questions um, to mom to distribute, uh, and maybe we can print some out to have on hand next week. But real briefly, I, I thought this was really good uh, by our, I think this was, uh, is this Dr. Wearsby? I think so, yeah. He says, this brings us to the end of our study of James. His emphasis has been spiritual maturity. Let's look at a few questions. How mature we really are. I'll be quick. Am I becoming more and more patient in the testings of life? Do I play with temptation or do I resist it from the start? Do I find joy in obeying the word of God or do I merely study it and learn it? Are there any prejudices that shackle me? Am I able to control my tongue? Am I a peacemaker rather than a troublemaker? Do people come to me for spiritual wisdom? Am I a friend of God or a friend of the world? Do I make plans without considering the will of God? Am I selfish when it comes to money? Am I unfaithful in the paying of my bills? Do I naturally depend on prayer when I find myself in some kind of trouble? Am I the kind of person others seek for prayer support? What is my attitude toward the wandering brother? Do I criticize and gossip? Or do I seek to restore him in love? And he says, don't just grow old, grow up. So that was pretty good. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you. Uh, for James, for the wisdom there, for the practicality of it. And Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd keep working all of that out in each of us. Uh, give us an awareness of what's going on around us, in us and around us, and help us to come to mind as to what to do about it. We thank you for Jesus and for what he did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.